My subject, if you want to give the message a title, is God who is full of surprises. Our God who is full of surprises. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he was very, very surprising. He never quite said what people expected, and he definitely did things which were very surprising. Um, he always obviously kept within scripture, but everything he did was so wonderful compared to what was expected and what people, he's a very un unpredictable God. And, um, there are, you know, I'm not going to spend time talking about everything the Lord's done that's surprising because, you know, we'll be here all day. Um, you know, imagine when you, if you were in the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament at the Red Sea, you've got the Egyptian army attacking from behind and you've got a big ocean in front of you. No one expected the God to open the ocean. You know, there's that old saying, when there's no way, God makes a way. Uh, he is the way, the way, the truth and the life. And some of the things he does are just so amazing. And I'm going to speak this morning on four areas where God can be surprising. And we're going to go through a psalm. But just before I do that, um, I just want to tell you a couple of things in my life. I mean, I once, I work, I still do at the moment, I work for a Christian mission charity called OMF, and part of my job is to apply for funding. I've probably told this before, but it still amazes me to this day. I was asked to apply for £30,000, so I prayed, and in the past when I've applied for smaller amounts, God's always answered. And I wrote to 30 organisations, sent out 30 letters, and I prayed, and I thought, yeah, God will do it. And then they all came back, rejections. <laughs> 30 rejections. I mean, I was, you know, Simon can be a bit of a Marvin the Android, but I was feeling pretty low self-esteem. But we had prayed. And then about a week later, I had a letter from some group called the Talbot Trust, who I'd never heard of and I'd never written to. And they said, we're a Christian group, and we were praying with our trustees other day, and we felt the Lord really tell us to send OMF £30,000. And I was like, I didn't even write to them. So God can do, you know, when you think, I want to encourage you, if you get to a situation where it just seems like a massive wall, either God will change you, and your, your perspective, or he'll change the situation. It's amazing. Here's one other quick one from my workplace before we look at the psalm. We got connections with churches in South Vietnam. And they had a real desire to evangelize the north of the country because there's no churches up there. You know, it's a communist country. But the governments, the local governments in the north had said there's going to be no churches here, no evangelism had allowed. It was banned by law. So OMF thought, well, we're a bit stuck. Anyway, the Philippine government invited North Vietnamese people to work in their factories in the Philippines. It was like a government arrangement. And whilst they were over there, they, a lot of them got evangelized by Filipino Christians. A lot of them became Christians whilst working in factories in the Philippines. And then the Filipino government had an argument with Vietnam, big row, and they kicked them all out and said, we don't want you here anymore, go back to Vietnam. So all these North Vietnamese returned to Vietnam as Christians and started planting churches. And it's like the Lord outwitted the government. I don't know whether you think your life of faith, if you really trust God, he'll never let you down and he will surprise you if you listen to him. It's an adventure, it's amazing, it's not boring. There may be seasons where you think it's boring, but God is so worthy 
of our trust. I want us to look at Psalm 84. I'm going to go through the psalm, and there are just a few things in this psalm which hint at the surprising, some surprising sides to God. Um, psalm 84, I'm just going to read it to you, so hopefully you bear with me or follow it if you've got a Bible. And some of the words I've altered slightly to match the correct Hebrew. I haven't changed it because I didn't like it. It's actually slightly more accurate the way I read it. Psalm 84. How beloved is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Right, four areas of surprise. At least, it's very basic, but I felt the Lord want me to share this. And they all begin with S to help you remember them. Right, the first area of surprise. God, it can surprise us who God selects, who he selects, who he calls. You see, the world would tend to select the very gifted ones, the very attractive ones, you know, like me, good looking. Um, he might select... <laughs> You know, the important ones, the influential ones. But I want to just tell you that this psalmist, there's, there's a hint of something very special about God's heart in this psalm. Just to give you a bit of quick background, this guy, he's longing to get to the temple in Jerusalem and he's not there. He's stuck where he doesn't want to be. He's trying to get to the temple. And he's a little bit jealous that even the birds have got there. He says, look, it's not fair. You know, the swallows are there and the sparrows are there, but I'm not there. And he's wanting to get to God's house. But I just want to focus on that bird a moment, the sparrow. It says, even the sparrow has found a home in God's house. Now, in the Bible, a sparrow isn't, yeah, it's, yeah, okay, it's just a bird, but it has some symbolism. You know, a sparrow, first of all, is incredibly common. Common as muck, you know. You get sparrows in every country in the world, except for the Arctic and the Antarctic. Every other country, you can look it up, sparrows, they're common. They're ordinary. And yet they find a home 
in God's house. This is a picture of the kind of people God calls. A sparrow is a worthless creature. It's insignificant, it's worthless. You know, sparrows were so worthless that when they used to buy them in the market, Jesus said this, if you remember this verse, he said, are not five sparrows bought for two pence? Well, did you know that each sparrow, I'm, 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 I'm changing the currency, it was worth about half a pence, right? So you get one sparrow for half a pence, another sparrow for half a pence, that makes two. Another one for half a pence makes three. Another sparrow for half a pence makes four. But Jesus said five. So do you know why there were five? Because they were so useless and worthless, they'd chuck in a free one. You can have a free as well. You can have an extra one. They're so insignificant, these sparrows, I'll just throw in an extra one. You know, they're just nothing. Sparrows are worthless, valueless, insignificant creatures. But what does God say when Jesus says that? God says, and yet, even if one of them falls to the ground, my father knows about it. And what I'm trying to get across to you is, it might surprise you sometimes, the kind of people God's interested in. Because I don't know if you know people who you find really boring. Hopefully not me today. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I know, as a guy at work, and when I sit next to him at coffee, I think, oh no, not him. He bores me to tears. He bores me to tears, this guy. And, but... God's interested in every kind of person who the world would say is insignificant, worthless, common, ordinary. You know, the sparrow, God has a heart. He's got his eye on the sparrow, is what I'm trying to say. I hope that encourages you, in case, if you might not feel you're that special. But even the sparrow has found a home. The sparrow is also a picture of loneliness. Those who are lonely, without friends, you know, Billy No Mates. Because there's a Bible verse where it talks about Solid being as lonely as a sparrow on top of a rooftop in the night. Sparrows are a picture of the unwanted. You know, sparrows are pests. I've got a nickname at work. They nickname me the office pest. Because <laughs> I go around doing health and safety and it really annoys everyone. But sparrows were considered as unwanted creatures. You know, if you were holding a barbecue and some sparrows turned up, they were like, unwanted. Oh, go away, you annoying birds. Just come and eat the food. And God has a heart for the unwanted person. God has a heart for the insignificant, the lonely, the Billy Nomates, the ones without friends, the ones who others have written off, the, the, the ungifted ones. God has a heart for such people. Even the sparrow has found a home. Then we read about the swallow. I hope I'm not reading too much into this, but I do know that many commentators have said the swallow is a picture of people too. For the swallow, what's the characteristic of a swallow? The swallow is very, very restless. It flits around here, there, everywhere. And there are people in this world that try everything. They try this sin, they try that sin, they get involved in this, they get involved in that. I think Richard Branson is one. I know he's much better off than me. But he tried, you know, Richard Branson, how many businesses has he tried? But, you know, people are like that. They're so restless in their heart and restless in their sin, and yet... It says the swallow has found a place in the home of God, the house of God, where she may have her young. And I love the image of a swallow homing in to its home. You know, if you've ever had swallows, I don't know if they annoy you, but in your eaves of your house or above the gutters, you know, you get a nest, and the swallow whoosh, homes in, homes in. And people, God will bring the restless to a place of rest in his home. God has time for such as these. And 
Some people are so wild that it's amazing that God even chooses them. I mean, I've been struck recently how God chose certain people in the Bible who I think are bonkers choices. They're bonkers. I mean, here's one. Aaron, the high priest. Right? Now, if you think about, I don't know if you know the story, but Aaron was the high priest. He was the most finely dressed man in all of Israel. He had the priestly robes. He had a gold, we had some kind of breastplate with jewels on it. He had a turban on his head, it was like a crown. He had a gold thing on his head which said holiness unto the Lord. They put oil on his head. He was like, he had three crowns, if you like, on his head. He was the real kingly figure, dressed in beautiful robes to be God's high priest. Now I think, if I look at it, I think, God, why did you pick him? Because do you know what he was doing earlier on in the Bible? Earlier on in the Bible, he'd made a golden calf. And he was dancing naked in front of it although we don't know actually if he was naked but it's very likely he was dancing nuddy in front of the golden calf because in that culture, do you know naked dancing please don't try it here but naked dancing was a cultural accepted thing if you wanted to worship an idol you'd get strictly clothes off and dance naked and it's very very likely that Aaron was dancing around naked before the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai whilst God was saying to Moses prepare the priestly garments I'm going to make that man clothes outshine, you know, I just think God, surely you should have written him off and picked somebody else you think about Peter Peter denied the Lord three times I think Pat spoke on him last week God chose him to be a leader in the church you think about Moses, Moses was a murderer he wrote the first five books of the Bible, he's a murderer he murdered an Egyptian, think about Paul, Paul was a murderer I mean, it's just come up to me afresh, the surprising heart of God to, to wash away sin and to give people a second chance. Yes, there are times when there are consequences. Yes, there are times when judgments fall. But there are a lot more times when God is so wanting to give a second chance. You know, if you ripped out of the Bible all the bits written by murderers, you'd have not much left. You have to rip out the books of Moses, rip out the books of Paul, rip out David, the Psalms. I'm just trying to encourage you. (laughs) It's amazing who God selects. Uh, And I I hope you're amazed he chose you. You're not here by chance. Uh, God chose you because you've got a purpose. So that's one area of surprise, who he selects. The second area of surprise is what he supplies. And if you look at the psalm, it talks about these birds and it says, where is their home? It says they have a home at a place near your altar. And the Lord just highlighted that to me, that the altar is a picture of the cross. Now, for a bird to go near an altar, it's a bit dangerous, actually, because they used to kill them on altar. (laughs) You could offer the birds up on an altar. You know, you'd offer the sheep and the goats, but, you know, birds could be sacrificed on altars. So, you know, this bird is making its home a place of death. But I just felt the Lord wanted me to remind us one thing we mustn't be forget is he has supplied the cross to us as our place of rest, the cross. He supplied the cross. The cross is what God has supplied. And people don't always realise what God has given us. You see, some people think that the cross is simply something that happened to Jesus only. A bit like 
you know, on the wall. It's something on the wall that doesn't really affect me. I, I can believe in it and, be, and get to heaven. But the cross is actually something which God has supplied for us. You know, there's an old hymn, which I brought, I, I had this red hymn book, and Pat groaned when he saw it. But there's a little verse in this hymn, uh, uh, number 184 in the red book. It's got this little phrase, and it says, Ours the cross, the grave, the skies, made like him, like him we rise. And God has supplied us with a cross. You know, God has given a cross to get rid of the old you. He hasn't just died for you, but he died in order that he could get rid of you. <laughs> get rid of the old stuff that you don't love. You know, the, the, the sins, the, the bondages. God has provided, if you like, a knife. The cross is like a knife which God will use to cut out the bad part of us. Uh, and I felt to share that because sometimes it's forgotten that God wants to apply the cross into our heart. There's an old chorus we sing, Lord, apply your cross within. He supplied us with a cross to cut out the sin. It's a bit like the cross is not a ceremonial sword on a wall, but it's a sword that God takes and then uses against us by the Spirit. He's also supplied us with a grave where the old you and I can be buried. I just wanted to bring that out, that the place, I mean, let me quote from you from the newsletter. Forgive me if, you, well, most of you didn't read it anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but there's a quote from the newsletter. We, we can forget, be surprised what God's done for us. See, God hasn't just given us a set of rules. God hasn't just given us a Bible. God hasn't just given us, do your best. Thank you very much. God's supplied cross so that if you come to Jesus with faith he can deal with things in your life bury them and you can rise up new it's like baptism if, when Tracy gets baptized it's a picture of being put down into the grave and coming up Tozer said this I'll put it in the newsletter he said the true cross of God has no truck with the world for Adam's proud flesh it means the end of the journey the cross slays the sinner. The cross destroys confidence in the flesh. The cross is a symbol of death. God salvages the individual by liquidating him and then raising him to a newness of life. God offers life, but not the improved old life. The life he offers is life out of death. We want to be saved, but we insist that only Christ does the dying. No cross for me. No dethroning of self. But there must be the work of God in destruction before we are free. We must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. If you have a habit that you can't get rid of, the answer is the cross. I'm just being straight. God's given it. He's supplied it. It's a surprise, but yes, it's there. The power to cut it out. Uh, it may take time, but God is faithful. Okay, moving on. Uh, I'd like to now move on to that. So I've talked about, uh, he surprises us in how, who he selects and he surprises us in what he's supplied, the cross, to deal with our sins. But the third little area is he surprises us when he allows us to suffer. And this is found in verses 5 down to 8. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, 
As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion. I don't know if any of you go through suffering. You may be surprised when it happens. Christians sometimes think, uh, why am I suffering? You know, I shouldn't be, I'm a Christian. God should be blessing me, but I'm actually suffering. Well, I want you to remember these verses. It says that as they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs, and it gets covered with pools of blessing. Because what the Lord does is, if we will listen to him, God can bring good out of our suffering. Now, I don't think God enjoys making us suffer. And I'm going to read you something that might make you laugh. Because some people have this idea of God, right? This is about a, a guy who had a very odd dad. Okay? He had a very odd dad. And I don't think God is like this. Just listen to this. This little boy says, I guess the first important lesson my dad taught me was to be independent. I was just four years old when he took me out to the shopping centre and left me there. I'll never forget that feeling as I watched him drive away with just that little loving wave. A few days later, when that nice policeman brought me home, my dad and I both knew I'd learned a very important lesson. God doesn't just do things, you know, like this. There's another little story from this boy. He says, I'll never forget the day of my ninth birthday. Dad was driving and I was next to him in the passenger seat. Suddenly he screamed, think fast, and leapt right out of the car. I had to learn how to drive right there on the spot. But as long as I live, I'll never forget that broad, proud smile on his face when I pulled that old car up the driveway. That was my old man. Here's one more. <laughs> I was 14 years old, I remember, when the police came to the high school to arrest me. As they arrested me, they explained that an anonymous caller had informed them that I'd held up a convenience store. I smiled. That was my old man. I knew he was teaching me how to deal with adversity. But two days later, he was there to bail me out. My old man isn't here anymore. But I've never forgot, forgotten the lessons he taught me. So sometimes late at night, when I'm sitting there on the floor, I look at my son, sleeping like an angel. And I know that one day soon, I'll be taking him to the shopping center. Just like my old man. Now, some people have this idea, sorry, that's a bit silly, that God is like a bit of a perver you know, perverted sort of, like, likes to put you through adversity. But I will say this, when you go through uh, suffering, God can use it. And one thing adversity will do, it will make you realise what's important and what isn't. You know, it will make you realise that some things are important, some things aren't so important. And this psalmist, when the psalmist went through adversity, he realised that in the end it was service that was important, not status. For he says, in verse 10, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He'd rather serve as in a menial sort of job than have status as a big landowner of wicked tents, be a big estate agent of wicked, you know, all these big tents. He'd rather, he learned that service was more important than status. And adversity burns up um, shallowness. It makes you realise what's important and what isn't. 
But God can bring good out of our pain. Here's a little quote I read. Just listen to this one. It says, bring your pain to God so that pain does not become your God. Bring your pain to God so that pain does not become your God. People have four ways of dealing with pain. One, they deny it. I'm fine, thanks. You know, have you ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail with the Black Knight? If you've ever seen that clip, there's a Black Knight and they chop his arm off and he goes, that's just a flesh wound. They chop his other arm off and he says, I've had worse. They chop his leg off. (laughs) He says, come here, I'll bite your kneecaps. But the point is, he's denying the pain. Don't deny your pain, bring it to God. The second thing people sometimes do is they distance themselves from everyone. They go off into a cave. I've been hurt, I'm just going to go and hide in a cave. I'm going to just cut myself off because people hurt me. The third thing people do, they control people. You know, I've been hurt, so I'm going to be a control freak so that they can't hurt me anymore. And the fourth thing people do, and I've done this in the past, You're in pain, what do you do? Rather than bring it to God, you go and comfort yourself with something else. Some people comfort eat when they're stressed. Some people comfort drink. Some people do worse things. But an addiction is sometimes there because it's designed to cover up pain. But what God is saying is bring it to me. He can turn what is a valley of weeping into a place of blessing if you trust him. And uh, I want to just to share with you that something I saw by a preacher called uh, T.D. Jakes. Pat loves T.D. Jakes. He's a big black African preacher. He's an amazing guy. He preaches in Texas. But he gave this sermon, and I, I, it just struck me. He basically was talking about when you get bitten by a snake. You know, when you get bitten by a snake, it's a killer, a lot of them. Um, he said, but do you know how they make the antivenom, the cure? How do you make anti-venom with the venom? <laughs> you need the venom to make the anti-venom. And sometimes God will allow something to bite you or something to affect you in order that you will become the anti-venom for other people. What you go through, God can use so that you become the cure for someone else. He's left you on the earth to be a cure for someone else. Now, if you've gone through abuse and you've survived, God will use you to comfort the abused. If you've gone through drunkenness and come out of it, God can use you to relate to the drunk. If you've gone through rape and you've been raped and you've survived it, God can use you to relate to those who've been raped. I know um, only those that have gone through stuff can actually really help others. And sometimes you are a cure for others. All the stuff you go through, all the rubbish, don't think it's... God can turn it into blessing. Maybe not for you, but for someone. The valley of weeping can become a place of blessing and you can find strength I mean I personally, I won't go into details but I've been on the phone to a guy recently and talking to him and I might even be seeing him tonight he's going through something I went through and he's finding it I trust, (laughs) very very helpful Um, and please be encouraged by what it says in the psalm, it says they pass through the valley verse 6, it doesn't say they stay there forever, they pass through And the other thing about it is that when you pass through, 
whilst you're going through it, it's good to try and not get wrapped up in yourself, but to listen to God and pray for others. Because in this psalm, it talks about, he's going through the valley, but he's praying for someone. In verse 9, he's praying for the king. It says, look upon our shield. What that means is the king of Israel. So he's praying for somebody else. He's not all just worrying about poor little old me, the ploms. He's praying for another in the midst of his suffering. Remember our king, O God, the shield. The other good little thing to remember when you're going through suffering is, I know it's a bit uh, distant, but try and think about where you're going to be in about 100 years. You know, you're going to be in the presence of the eternal God, in eternal praise and worship. It says in verse uh, 7 of the psalm, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. You're not going to always be coming to River Church. <laughs> you might go, hooray! You're going to one day be up in glory. I know that seems a long way off, but sometimes when you're going through suffering, it's good to remember this is, you're passing through. There's going to come that time when you are eternally before God in Zion, as it says in verse uh, 7. So, I want to just encourage you, really, that God can surprise you in the, uh, in the suffering. And the last little area, because I'm not going to be very long, is down, if you go down and look at verse 11, it says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows grace and glory. <clears throat> Another last way in which God can surprise you, and this might sound something we haven't experienced much, is that he can show up. He can show up. Like when the sun breaks from the clouds. God's, have you ever been out in a grim, grim old grey day and then suddenly the sun comes out? It's amazing, it's lovely. God's heart is that there will be times in our life as a church and as an individual when God will show up. His presence will fill a room. I remember being told about a meeting at boys camp once that Pete was in. I think Tim was preaching or someone was preaching and God just came. He showed up. It was a surprise. They weren't expecting, they didn't know what to do. I think Pat might have been there. Were you? (laughs) But God shows up and I know that his heart is sometimes to have that in our church, is to show up in a very powerful way. Um, I always remember the story of George Whitfield who was preaching once in Cheltenham. He was preaching in Cheltenham and he was just doing his usual stuff, preaching, and he said, the Lord God of hosts came down amongst us. The whole meeting had to stop. He said, we didn't know what to do. God was there. And I just felt to say that, I don't know why, I felt that one of the desires of God is that he will surprise us. We'll be chugging along as River Church and then one day the Lord will want to pour his spirit out. Um, but I, I believe I, I've been told to share with you one little key to that. Not that I, I haven't got the key to revival, because I don't think there is a key, but there's one little thing which I think is important. And it's something which Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his book, Revival. And it's really challenged me, and I hope I'll leave it with you. <clears throat> if you look at all the old saints and all the people that prayed for revival, and in, particularly in the Bible, people like Moses, it's interesting what their real desire was. This is what it says. When Moses prayed, 
his greatest concern was about the name, the reputation, and the glory of God. God's honor and God's glory. Today's concern is about statistics and figures. People are talking about churches being empty. They talk about methods of trying to fill up the church and get people into the church. They're interested in figures, numbers, bums on seats, membership. But how often do you hear at a conference a concern about the glory of God and the honor of the name of God? The attitude seems often to be that the church is rather like a business. And we are concerned about it just like a man would be concerned if his business was not going well. We are the businessmen. We are concerned about the organization. But this was not Moses' concern. His first concern in many of his prayers was about the glory of God. Are you grieved at the state of the church? If so, why? Is it just a sort of nostalgia for how the church once was? Or do we know something of a concern for the name of God? Does it weigh heavily upon our hearts and minds that we see godlessness and the name of God taken in vain? These old men of God were unhappy because God was not being worshipped as he should be and they prayed for his own sake, for his glory's sake, to vindicate his own name, to arise and to scatter his enemies. These are the motives in praying for revival, for the name, the honour and the glory of God, for the sake of the church which is his, and then for the sake of the unsaved, those who are outside, those who mock, jeer and laugh. I was just challenged by that. that I've prayed for revival, God, but I've, I've, I've just prayed, Lord, grow the church, save the neighbours, but really it's got to grip us, this desire for the, for the glory of the name. Lord, I want my neighbours to know you, not because I want them saved in River Church. I want them to know you because you're the God of the earth and I want them to wake up and the devil to get kicked out so that they can see your name and vindicate your name against the adversary. That's the real cry. And um, it says, the Lord God is a son. S-U-N. <laughs> I think he wants to break forth sometimes in real power and glory. And it says in verse 11, the Lord bestows grace and glory. Okay. Now, I just want to invite Pat up because I, I don't really know how to respond to this. I've just shared things that the Lord showed me. But one thing I do want to pray, perhaps, is that we get a heart for the glory of God. I, I know I haven't had it. Maybe you've got it. But a real heart for the glory of God. So, Pat, can I invite you up and maybe you can just lead us in 